here today. We're in the middle of a series called Into the Storm. And, uh, and so I want to get into this. Two weeks ago, we started the series Into the Storm. And, um, and when we did, we talked about just the idea, the general idea of actually going into the storm. And we talked about how the American bison, um, whenever an American bison, whenever he sees uh, a storm rolling in, a snowstorm rolling in, it, unlike uh, regular cows who will just kind of huddle up and hunker down and allow the storm to happen to them, the bison will actually group up and they will walk through the storm because they understand that if you walk into the, the storm, if you face the storm and walk straight into it, that you're actually not exposed as much as if you just hunker down and let the storm happen to you. And so we talked about how in life we all have storms. Like storms are inevitable. They're always going to happen to us. And so we have a decision to make. Are you going to let the storm happen to you? Or are you going to walk into the storm? And so we talked about a story how the disciples were on a boat, right? And, and they were in the middle of a storm. And Jesus walks straight into their storm. But la- that week we talked about how, how did he do that? How did he have the... The, the, the makeup to be able to get into that storm. And we talked about how he spent time in God's presence beforehand. And then last week, uh, while I was out of town, my dad preached and, and, um, and he talked about uh, the idea that, that the storm doesn't determine your faith, right? And, and we read out of uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and, and, and how it talks about how Abraham was 100 years old and still had a baby. What a miracle. It's not really a miracle about Abraham. It's more of a miracle about Sarah, right? Because Sarah was like 90 years old having a baby. And all the ladies in here that are close to 90, you're like, I don't want another baby at that age, right? I'm 42 and I don't want another baby in the house. I can't imagine Sarah and Abraham, but, but they wanted it. And we talk about the faith of Abraham at that age, still, you know, doing, believe in God. But then later you read in that same chapter and, and Isaiah gets stuck in a log and chopped in half. Where? Where was his level of faith? Abraham's going through the good stuff. Isaiah's going through the bad stuff. But they're both in the same place of faith. So we know that our storm doesn't determine our level of faith. That we can still have faith even if we're going through a storm, right? And so today what we want to do is, is I'm, I, I kind of, as I studied for this, um, I studied for this week and next week at the same time because it's kind of the same message. It's, it's just next week is going to finish off this week, but... But I want to talk about not just going into the storm, but I want to talk about going through the storm. And then next week, we want to talk about what's on the other side of the storm. But today's message, if you're taking notes, is called going through the storm. And so here's the thing. It's always easier to go through something when you know there's another side to it. Right? Like if you know there's something on the other side of this trouble that I'm going through right now, if I'm having to go through a struggle, but you're promising me something on the other side, then it makes it a lot easier for me to pursue that. And so uh, a verse we've used uh, the last little bit is Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. Um, And it says this, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord uh, who created you, O Israel, the one who formed you, uh, says this, do not be afraid, for I've ransomed you. I've called you by name, and you are mine. Now look, I, I think I highlighted this on our notes today in this verse. It says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. Do we have those up? Oh, they're fixing. They're working on the computer. Sorry, guys. Man, I did so much work. I like highlighted the verses, and I got it all underlined, and it would look so cool. And, and you don't get any of it today. So here's what you're going to have to do. 
press a button on your phone and highlight it yourself, right? So here's what it says. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. The goal is not to be in the storm. The goal is to do what? Go through the storm. And what we do a lot of times is we start asking the question of when is this storm going to be over? How am I going to get through it? You know, we, we want to get out of it as quickly as possible, but you need to understand there's this process that we go through the storm, and that's a promise. And, and the Bible never says in Isaiah, he doesn't say when you're in the fire. He says when you go through the fire. Not when you're in the flood, when you go through the flood. And so you just have to understand today right off the bat that, that there's, a, there's a, a process of going through the storm, not just being in the storm. So let's, let's pick back up. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 14. I've got four points today, and that's it. So, so you'll know. If you're keeping count today, you'll know when I'm almost done with the message. Because um, I'll get to point number four. And then they'll turn down the lights. We'll set the mood, you know. Actually, at point number four, some people asked me one time, they said, why do you turn down the lights whenever you get to the end of your message? And I said, because I really need to focus. And it's about that time that people have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so if I turn your lights down, I don't see you get up and leave. All right, now that's not giving you permission to leave. Y'all stay in your seats, but I like to focus. So point number one, we're talking about Matthew chapter 14. Now in this story, Jesus... We, we, we read the whole chapter a couple weeks ago. He finds out his cousin died. Then the next thing that happens is he feeds uh, 5,000 men, and they say women and children included could push that number up to about 20,000 people that he feeds with, with just a few pieces of bread and a few fish, miraculous feeding. And then the next thing that happens is, uh, is he walks on water, which we talked about later. But, but in between the feeding and the walking on water, uh, I want to look at Matthew 14, 22, because here's the thing. Number one, in your notes, he said, go to the other side. He said, go to the other side. That's my first point. That's the first thing you need to understand. When you're going through a storm, you need to understand that he said, you're going through a storm. You're going to the other side. So if he's making a promise, he's going to keep that promise, right? And so here's what it says, Matthew 14, 22. Immediately after this, this is after he feeds the 5,000. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Listen, let me tell you something. That word insist there means to force. It means to coerce. It means to shove. It means to push. It means to urge. In other words, Jesus was insistent that the disciples get in the boat and go to the other side. Why is that important? That's important because if he tells you to go, then he'll provide a way for you to get there. And you need to know that before you hit a storm. You need to know that before you step into this battle because God may be calling you to something. I, I had lunch with someone the other day and they said, I'm kind of scared because God's calling me to do something and I'm not sure what that's going to look like. But if God's calling you into something, he will provide a way for you to get through it. Even if a storm hits in the middle of it. If he tells you to go, he'll provide a way. And I, and I know this because John 14, 2 says this. Uh, Jesus speaking, he says, There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I, have, uh, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Okay, 
To put that in context, apparently Jesus has previously told the disciples, when I go to heaven, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In other words, Jesus isn't going to tell you to go somewhere without having prepared a way for you to get there and a place for you to go. If he says there's another side, then we put our hope in that, right? We put our hope in that. 1 Peter 1.13 says this, So prepare your minds for action. I love this. This is so cool. Like if you're just wanting a really practical verse to, to just kind of meditate on, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. That's a really good thought right off the bat. Again, whatever you're doing, prepare your mind for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So what is Peter telling us here? Peter says this, our hope, first of all, our hope determines our actions. If I can have hope, that he said, there's another side. He said to get up and go. If I have hope, then, then it doesn't matter what storm comes. If I've got hope, I can endure the storm. Imagine the disciples, they're out there rowing, right? And they're getting beat up by the storm. And I imagine, in my brain, I just imagine that, that they're saying, man, we're about to die. Like, we'll never make it. And then one guy says, you know what? But Jesus told us to go. And if Jesus told us to go, then he's going to get us to the other side. Just keep rowing, man. Like, just keep doing, because he said we're going to make it there. I have hope, even in the middle of my storm. And my hope determines my actions. There's times whenever we can be going through a, a hard thing, but if I have hope, if I know there's going to be a good outcome on the other side, then it helps me to push a little bit further. So... Melissa and Jake are here this morning, and they just got back from Columbia. They got back from the wedding. That's, that's where I was last week, was preaching their wedding, and it was beautiful. It was amazing. Um, we had to fly to Columbia, and we get, uh, we get to Columbia and immediately rent um, go-karts, and we drive. <laughs> like, you think I'm teasing. We rented these cars that were so small you could hear the gerbils in the engine just running. I mean, they were just getting after it, right? They were like one-horsepower engines. And so we get in, we get in these, these little vehicles, and it was, they were so weak of vehicles that whenever you tried to pass somebody, and, and we're on these mountainous roads doing this, and, and, and I'm in the car, and, and Josh, who was up here, he was sitting behind me, and, and, and Andrew's back there. He was sitting next to me, and he's navigating me. And then we've got the wives back here, and, and I'm driving, and we go to pass a truck. And they said, go! Because Josh is sitting on my side, and he's looking out the window, and he can see other cars coming as we're passing on this very narrow, mountainous road. And he says, go! And Andrew's going, go! And I'm going, I'm going as fast as I can. And the car just goes, and the guy in the truck's like looking at me like, what are you doing? And there was this horse like just walking beside me and like, tie on, you know? Anyways, we drive forever and we make it to this place and it was, it was a natural hot springs. Now, if you've been on an airplane all day, the one thing you want is natural hot springs. So we get to the natural hot springs, and, and it's just full of people. And, and that's the other thing you want. You want to sit in hot water full of people. All the juices, you know. It's like sitting in hot dog water, human hot dog water. And so we go, and we sit in the human hot dog water. And, and it wasn't hot. It was kind of lukewarm. And, and, and I was a little disappointed, and so I'm sitting in this lukewarm hot dog water, and all of a sudden, someone, some kid jumps in, and when they do it, splashes, and I was talking. 
You figured it out. I figured it out. I'm still alive, so I was like, look, I already got all the diseases. I'm good. You know, we're right in my mouth. And, and so then we learned that I was in the wrong pool. I was in the warm pool. The hot pool was next over. And so I went and got in the hot pool, and it was amazing. I'm loving it. And then all of a sudden, these guys, Cam being one of the guys, he comes up. He's like, hey, there's this really cold waterfall over here. Let's go get in the really cold waterfall as I'm relaxing in the very hot springs. And I'm pretty sure they don't have nerves. Not that they don't have nerves. They got lots of nerve. They don't have nerves. Like, they don't feel cold, apparently. Because they were like, hey, come on, let's go. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll go. I'll walk down there with you. And so we get down there like, yeah, well, you got to get in the cold water. And I was like, I don't want to get in the cold water. And I did not want to get in the cold water. And I whined and complained the whole time. I want to tell you I was very manly. But you know what? They all got underneath the waterfall. And I, like, got part of my body under the waterfall. And I was like, oh, okay, is this good enough? Can I leave? And it was terrible. Here's the thing. You know where I went? I went straight back to the hot tub. Here's the thing. If you would have told me, Gabriel, on the other side of this waterfall is a very nice hot spring with no little kids splashing in your mouth, with not a whole lot of people in there like hot dog water, you can go enjoy it all by yourself. I would have gone straight through that cold water like a champ, right? Because I would have had hope. You know what my, they said is, let's just go get really cold. There's no hope in that. There's no point in that. When I have hope, I can endure anything because I've got hope that there's something on the other side. And what Jesus does is gives us hope. When he promises us there's another side, then we have hope that we can endure the storm. Point number two, he will get us there in his time. He will get us there in his time. If you read in Matthew chapter, chapter 14 in this story, uh, Matthew writes that it was 3 o'clock in the morning that the disciples were out there getting pounded by the waves. If you read John's account, John doesn't tell us the, the exact time. Instead, John says, we had rowed three or four miles. So, so John is giving us a distance that they've gone, and Matthew's giving us a time frame. Either way, you need to understand that there was a time that these guys are out there. Jesus gives them the promise, you go to the other side. He gives them the command, but, but he never tells them how long it's actually going to take for them to do it. And you can tell by the fact of the writers letting you know exactly what time it was. That means Matthew the whole time is looking at his watch. He's like, Jesus told us to go, man, it is 3 o'clock. When are we going to get there? John, the whole time, he's looking at his watch, but he's looking at the mileage, right? Like He's on his Apple watch. He's like, bro, we have been rowing forever. Like this is three miles in. And so they're thinking about this time frame. Which also reminds me of my trip to Columbia, ironically. If you're in America and someone says you need to be somewhere at 2 o'clock, guess what time you need to be there? 1.55. If you're in America and someone says something's 45 minutes away, guess how far away it is? It's probably 35 minutes away. They just push it a little bit to give you some cushion. But if you're in Columbia... And someone says it's 45 minutes away. Melissa, how far away is it? It's an hour and 45 minutes away. <laughs> if you're in Columbia and they say the wedding starts at 3.30, guess what time the wedding starts? 4.30. So you just got to learn to deal with the time. We, we were at the wedding and, and I asked the night before the wedding, I said, Jake, what time is the wedding tomorrow? 
And Jake, I should know this. I'm preaching it. Jake, what time is the wedding tomorrow? And Jake goes, oof. I, I think I should know this. I feel like right off the bat, I was like, we're in trouble, man. When the groom doesn't know, we are in trouble. And I said, I said uh, he said, I think it's between three and four. So he said, Melissa, come over here. Melissa goes, yeah, it's, it's at 3.30. It's at and I was like, okay, so 3.30. She said, we'll be there at 3.30. I was like, wait, is it at 3.30 or be there at 3.30? She's like, it's at 4. And, and then again, I'm like, she's making this up. She's making it up right here on the spot. No one has asked her this whole time what time the wedding is until I asked her. And now she just made it up. And now everybody's going to know that the wedding sometime, sometime. And so, so I told Perry, I said, she said it's going to be at 4. It'll be at 4.30. And we get there. And, and normally I would stress out. I get really anxious about stuff like that. I'm like, man, if someone says be there, I've got to be there at this time. And I was super chill on this trip because I was like, I get it. I've lived in Central America, South America. I know how it goes. And so, you know, 3 o'clock, 3.30 rolls around, 4 o'clock rolls around. And uh, we're getting closer to 4.30. And I looked over at the, the lady that was doing the wedding coordination. I said, hey, if you'll just tell me where to go and when to be there, we're good. You know, I was like, I'm totally cool with the time. Um, so these disciples are upset about the time. And here's what I want you to know about Jesus. Jesus operates, God operates on a different time scale than you and I do. He lives in a realm of eternity. So, so we see fixed points of time, but God steps back away from that, and he doesn't operate in time at all. As a matter of fact, God is just as comfortable in our future as he is in our past. The Bible says that God is the God of, of Jacob, uh, uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, he says that after these guys are already dead, but God acts like when he speaks it as though they're already, they're, that they're still alive. He doesn't say, I am the God, I was the God of Jacob. He says, I am the God of Jacob. Hundreds of years after Jacob is dead. Because God operates on a different time frame than we do. We operate on a, on a finite amount of time. God doesn't. So, so for us, the worry... We get worried about the time, and you may be in a storm right now, and you're worried about the time. You're looking at your watch, and you're saying, God, I've been in this storm for, for a year. I've been in this storm for 10 years. I've been in this storm for 20 years. God, I've been rowing for three or four miles now. I've been rowing for 10 miles. I, I, I'm struggling here, God, and don't you see me? And we think God has abandoned us, but in reality, he just operates on a different time frame than we do. So when God looks at, at 17 years of your life being in a storm, to him, 17 years is nothing. To you, it's everything. But it's not that way to God. And you need to understand that he's got a time and a plan that's different than yours. There's a story, and I'm going to use this again next week, but there, I think there's a story about a guy named Joseph in the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis, there's a story of a guy named Joseph. Now, Joseph was the 12th son, uh, or the 11th son of, of, of his father. There was 12 sons total. And, and Joseph was the 11th. Joseph was the favorite uh, at, at this time. And, and whenever he was the favorite, the other brothers got very jealous of him. And because they were jealous and Joseph was a little arrogant, they, they took Joseph and, um, and, and they threw him into a pit. And then they sold him into slavery. Right? When I was a kid, my brother uh, wrapped me up in a jacket and then stuck me butt first into a giant trash can. If you're butt first in a giant trash can, you can't get out because your hands and feet are up. And I was just stuck that way. And he thought it was funny and he rolled me around. You know how it is with big brothers. This is not one of those kind of pranks. Ha ha ha, we're going to sell you into slavery. You know, it's like, 
Once you do that, it's over. Like, that's it. That's, that's the extreme. So they sell him into slavery, and, um, and it's, a, it's a long process. It turns out to be a 17-year process. He's a slave. After he's a slave, or while he's a slave, he gets accused of rape, which he did not do. He was innocent, but he was accused of rape. So then he gets put into prison. And while he's in prison, um, now he's struggling in prison. And that's where we're going to pick the story up, and we'll backtrack a little bit later. But in Genesis chapter 40, verse 14, I want you to notice this. Uh, Joseph has, his, the prisoners in his prison have had dreams, and Joseph has this uncanny ability to interpret dreams. And so Joseph begins to interpret the dreams of these guys. And he tells one guy, he says, hey man, you're going to make it back to Pharaoh's court. He was, he was in prison in Egypt. You're going to make it back to Pharaoh's court. You're going to be restored to your place of honor and position. And, and then he tells the other guy, he says, Pharaoh's going to cut your head off. And so that part was bad. But the first guy, he looks at the first guy and he says, he says basically, whenever you get back, in your place of power. In verse 14, he says, And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh that he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews. And now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. Verse 23 says, And Pharaoh's cupbearer, however, forgot about Joseph and never gave him another thought. Joseph thinks he's going to get out. He thinks he's going to get out. He, he thinks he can see the other side. And then the guy that he put his trust in forgot about him. Have you ever felt that way? When you're in the middle of a storm, have you ever felt that way that I put all my trust, I put all my chips in this, in this basket or whatever the saying is, eggs in the basket, chips in the table, whatever. <laughs> chips in the basket, eggs on the table. Put all my eggs on this table. Have you ever felt that way, though, where you, you feel like I'm, I, I, I'm putting all of my hope in this next job? This next job is going to be it. This next move, this next relationship, this next thing is going to be it. And then nothing comes of it. Nothing happens. They forget about you. And you feel like God forgot about you. But you've got to remember God operates on a different time frame than you do. So if we read in Genesis chapter 41... Verse 1, it says this, Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. Joseph asked this guy to remember him. It took two years for the guy to remember him. Two years. So we need to understand that God operates different than we do. But if you read the rest of the story... Joseph gets rescued out of prison. He gets set free from prison. He ends up becoming second in command in Egypt. He ends up saving his whole family because they didn't have food. They were in a famine. And Joseph comes up with this way. God gives him a design to be able to provide food for the entire region. And, and you see what's happening? What Joseph thought was a forgotten moment, when Joseph thought nobody remembered him, when Joseph thought God had totally abandoned him, no, it didn't happen that way. What it really was is God had a time frame. If God had rescued Joseph before the two years, it would have been too early for Pharaoh to have the dream, and then, and then Joseph wouldn't have been around when the time came to save his family. So you need to understand he does it in his time. Number three, he'll get us there in his way. So he'll get us there in his time. He'll get us there in his way. In Matthew 14, if we go back to Matthew 14, I want you to go with me on this. So the disciples are in the boat. They're in the middle of the storm. Jesus is walking on water. 
they immediately do what any of us would do. They scream and yell and think it's a ghost, right? Of course. And so, so Jesus says this in verse 27, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. He says, take courage. I am here. Who is here? Y'all help me. Who? I am, right? Jesus is. Yeah, that was a little misleading, but you got it. Jesus is there. Verse 28. Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? couple things I want to backtrack on and look at. Verse 27, it says that Jesus said, I am here. I am here. But Peter said, if it's really you. If it's really you. And then Peter's next thing is, I want to walk on the water. Right? So, so here's, what, here's what Peter does. Peter begins to doubt Jesus, but puts all of his hope in a miracle. He doubts Jesus but puts his hope in a miracle. It would be like Josh saying today, uh, Waymaker, right? And, and whenever he was singing Waymaker, he's talking about that, that Jesus is the one that makes the way for us. It would be like us putting all of our faith in the way and not the Waymaker. Now, now here's the thing you've got to understand. Jesus can get you to the other side, either by the miraculous or by the mundane. But either way, we don't put our faith in the method. We put our faith in the Messiah. It's not about the way you get there. See, the thing is, Jesus could have walked on water all the way over, but instead he gets in the boat. The Bible says that he gets in the boat, and they all make it to the other side of the boat. Sometimes what we want is we want the miracle. We want the big miracle. We want God to just provide. We want the, 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 the leg to grow back. We want the dead to be raised. We, we want money in the mailbox. We, we want to be able to open up our Wells Fargo account and just magically see the numbers rise up. Right? That's what we want. But what we do is we put our faith in the miracle, not in the miracle maker. And when we put our faith in the miracle, when the miracle doesn't happen the way you want it to happen then you get mad at God. The other thing is, is there was also the mundane. There was a boat available, a man-made boat, and Jesus literally got in the boat and made it to the other side on the boat. So how did Jesus cross? He crossed by the miracle and by the mundane. Either way was fine with Jesus because he knows the goal is to get to the other side, right? And so we need to understand that today. God can move in the miracle or the mundane. Either way, we're not concerned about the method. We're concerned about him. He's the focus. He's the focus. I told you the story a couple weeks ago about my friend Shane getting a new car. And I needed a new car, right? I need a new car. Shane got a new car. Someone gave him a car. Just, just showed up and said, I feel like God told me to give you this car. And the whole time I'm getting mad at God saying, God, I need a car. I'm driving the old church van around. I need a car. You know how God provided a car? Yes, I told you the story. My grandmother died. Yes, and I got her car. Yes, that did happen. But you know how God provided a legit car for our family? It's not as fun of a story. We saved money. We saved money and put money in a bank account, and then we bought a car. 
It's not fun, right? Sometimes God just provides a vehicle. And sometimes God says, get a budget, and I'll give you a job. You're not going to get a raise, but just save the money I've already given you, and then buy the vehicle yourself. Which one was God? Both. Both. But I don't recognize God if it's not a miracle. And then I get mad at God if I don't get the miracle I want. So the boat, the boat is, is the savings account, right? Sometimes we want a healing. Sometimes we want a healing. And, and I, I, was, I lived in Mobile, and I've shared this story with you before, how I had a, a, a mass on my heart that they had to cut out, right? But I was, I was living in Mobile when that happened, and there was a pastor, and his wife was in a wheelchair in Mobile, and she had a miraculous healing. Miraculous. It was amazing. One night, I think they were at church, and she just stood up. Like, she was in a wheelchair. She, she couldn't walk. She just stood up and, like, moved the wheelchair out of the way, and that was it. From that day forward, she was out of the wheelchair. She never went back to it again. Miraculous. I'm in the hospital with a golf ball stuck to my heart. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and the golf ball was still on my heart. You know how the golf ball got off my heart? I got a big old scar on my side to prove it. The doctors had to cut it out. Is that because I didn't have faith? Or is it because God used the boat? Sometimes God uses a boat, and we've got to be okay with that. Sometimes it's a miracle. Sometimes it's a miraculous. Sometimes it's the boat. Sometimes it's walking on water, right? Sometimes it's a savings account. Either way, God's in both of them. And so we've got to get that in our head. Because I think sometimes we get mad at God when he doesn't have the method we want him to have. We get mad at God when he doesn't have the time we want him to have. And we get mad at God when he doesn't have the method we want him to have. But at the end of the day, we're not God. And he sees it from a different perspective than we do. And so we've got to go with his method and with his time frame. The last one is this. He will get us there. Did we, did we ever get our notes back? So earlier I, I talked about he will get us there um, on his time. And then I said he will get us there in his way. But this one, you'll notice it just feels... Um, very anticlimactic, but the emphasis is on the he. He will get us there. Sometimes we get so caught up in the boat and we get so caught up in the walking on water, we forget there's a he that's in charge of that. And, and, and so here's the thing. My job is not to focus on the storm. My job is not to focus on the method. My job is to focus on the one who will get me through that storm. If we go back to the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39, the Bible says this in verses 1 and 2. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was the captain of the guard for the Pharaoh king of Egypt. Now, so basically Joseph has been sold into slavery. Look at the next words on verse 2. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. In slavery, in the storm of slavery, the Lord was with Joseph. Uh, Genesis 39, 20 says this. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. Let me tell you something. How did Joseph make it through 17 years of storm? He made it through 17 years of storm because he recognized the fact that God was with him the whole time. God was with him the whole time. In our story, in our, our verse of Isaiah 43, we're, we're just going to keep backtracking and pull more out of these things. Get all the meat off the bone that we can. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. 
I'm going to read it again. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, Don't be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you're going through your storm, you need to remember that the God of the universe knows your name. The God of the universe has purchased you, has ransomed you. The God of the universe knows you and loves you. But you don't feel like it because you're in the storm. Verse verse 2 says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. I will be with you. We'll backtrack a little bit more. We'll go to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, this is the same account, Jesus walking on the water, but it's John's account. Everybody's got a different account, right? What do they say that if you, if you take four blind men and, and, and put them on either side of an elephant and, and ask them what does an elephant look like, they'll all give you a different description of the same thing, right? So we read John's account because John is going to focus on different things. I want you to look at what John focuses on. Verse 18 of John chapter 6. Soon a gale swept down upon them, and the sea grew very rough. And they had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified. But he called out to them, don't be afraid, I am here. Now, I believe personally that John and Peter have a little rivalry, right? I think they have a little rivalry. And John totally leaves out the fact that Peter walked on the water. There's also another place in John where Jesus is raised from the dead. And John and Peter run to the, to the grave to see it empty. And John mentions in there that he beat Peter to the grave. I just think it's funny. These guys are humans that wrote the Bible. So John doesn't even mention Peter walking on water. Verse 21. That's something I would do, 100%. Verse 21. Then they were eager to let him in the boat. And immediately they arrived at their destination. Check that out. What were they? They were eager to let Jesus into the boat. And immediately they arrived at their destination. John, Peter's, I mean, Matthew's version, he's focused on the miracle of the walking on water. John focuses on the miracle of Jesus getting in the boat and the instant making it through the storm. You, you just need to know today the most important thing we can do is have Jesus in the boat with us. He can walk on water. He can move the boat. He can calm the storm. The fact is it's all about him not us. Not us. Pastor Nathan and I were talking before church, and he was, I told everybody, the, the worship team, about what we were doing, and, and, and we were talking, and he said, you know, sometimes I think we get in the boat, and we're rowing as hard as we can row, and, and we're praying as hard as we can pray, and we think it's all the prayers that we pray all the times we rowed. It's all the fasting that we're doing. It's all the worship that we're doing. It's the number of times we show up at church. He said, he said, we think it's all about us. When in reality, it's all about letting him into the boat. See, if he's, if he's not in your life, you can pray all you want. If he's not in your life, you can work as hard as you want. If it's not about Jesus, if it's about you, you're not going to make it to the other side. You're going to get stuck in the storm. But we got to have Christ. 
that verse I shared earlier, John chapter 14, I shared verse 2 about Jesus going to to prepare a place. I want to read that in context, 1 through 3. And this is where we're going to close. As a matter of fact, why don't you stand up as we read this last little passage. We work in some times, Nathan. John 14, verse 1 says this. This is the English Standard Version. It says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Verse 3, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that, that where I am, you may be also. Let me just break down those words really quick while you're standing. He says, troubled heart. Don't let your hearts be troubled. That word trouble there means, um, it means uh, to agitate or to stir up or to put in motion something that is supposed to be still. When I'm in a storm, you know how I know I'm in a storm? When my heart is troubled, when I'm anxious for no reason, when, when that which is supposed to be calm and at peace is all stirred up and thrown into motion. When I feel agitated, I know I'm in a storm. And that's what happens to us. We get in a storm and our hearts are troubled. Our souls are troubled. Our emotions are broken. And we're in this storm and we don't know what to do. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He's saying, put your faith or your trust in the only one that can get you to the other side. Don't put your faith in yourself. Don't put your faith in your church attendance. Don't put your faith in how many YouTube videos you watch about the Bible. Don't put your faith in your Bible reading. Listen, we want to do all those things. But anybody out there can read their Bible and it doesn't affect them the way that we do when we have Christ in the middle of it. We've got to have Him in our boat. And the last thing he says is he says, I will come and take you to myself. That word take you to myself means to come uh, to bring close alongside. It means to aggressively take someone. It means to take by showing strong personal initiative. So what is Jesus saying? He says, number one, you're going to be in a storm, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Put all your faith and trust in me. He says, number two, I'm preparing a place for you. There's another side to this storm. There's another Even death can't stop you. Because Paul says, even if I die, I'm with Christ, so it's all good. If I'm here, I'm with Christ. If I'm dead, I'm with Christ. So Jesus says, number one, you're going to go through a storm. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. Put your trust in me. Number two, I'm going to prepare a place for you on the other side of this storm. There's another side to it, so you can have hope. And number three, he says, I will aggressively walk with you. In other words, I'm not going to let you flounder. I'm going to grab you and I'm going to pull you and we're going to walk together. I'm going to be with you through the storm. I'm going to be with you in the rain. I'm going to be with you when the waves are crashing in on your boat and you feel like there's no hope left. I will be there with you. That's the kind of God we serve. Why don't you close your eyes with me this morning? As the prayer team comes down, I'm going to ask you right now just to begin to ask the Holy Spirit. You ask the Holy Spirit. You pray. I can't pray for you. You pray and you begin to ask the Holy Spirit today to speak to your heart about what He's doing in your life. What is He saying to you this morning? Maybe you're going through a storm or maybe you know somebody going through a storm. 
Maybe you don't have any hope this morning. You don't feel like you have any hope because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You're not walking with him. You haven't um, invited him into your boat. Maybe you need to get that right first. Whatever you're going through this morning, whatever you're dealing with this morning, we want to pray for you today. We want to pray for you today. We love you. We care about you. And we want to partner with you. We want to partner with you on this journey to get to the other side. I am going to pray over you today. And then then we're going to sing one more song. As we sing that final song, if you need prayer, I want you to slip out of your seat and come down to the front and let somebody pray with you this morning. Lord God, I just pray over our church. I pray over my family right now. And God, there are many of us today that are going through a storm. There are many of us going through a storm, but God, some of us are trying to go through that storm by ourselves. Some of us think it's going to be our own effort and it's going to be what we're doing to get us through the storm. But in reality, God, we need to put our trust and hope in you. We need to put our trust and hope in you. God, we need to, we need to turn ourselves over to you. We need to surrender our lives to you. God, there's some of us today, we're going through a storm and we've been looking for the miracle, but you're trying to work in the mundane. God, we've been looking at the mundane and we've been trying to plan everything, but you're trying to do a miracle. And God, either way, we need to know that it's you, that you're doing a work. There's some of us, God, we've been in this storm for a long time. We've been in this storm and it's three o'clock in the morning. It's, it's dark and it's cold and we're wondering where you are. And God, we just need some reassurance. We need some hope today. We need some hope today.